Well, good morning, church. So good to see all of you here with us today. I really appreciate you all coming out. And uh, I'm going to be continuing in my sermon series on Elijah. Today it's part three of the life of Elijah. As God demonstrates through this great man of God the lessons for us in our own life today. Now in my trip to Israel several years ago, I remember an oversized statue of Elijah on Mount Carmel. I went up to Mount Carmel and there on, on Mount Carmel is this large statue on a pedestal and he stands there with a large knife raised over his head. Uh, and an inscription refers to the whole incident below. It was a very inspirational moment for me as you look from Mount Carmel down and recognize that several thousand years ago, this is what had happened. And so here, somewhere on Mount Carmel, at that place, Elijah goes toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal, the 850 false prophets, idolatrous prophets of Baal. And it's a dramatic moment in the history of the Jewish people, a dramatic moment, really, in the Bible, uh, as we will see the one and only true God step forward and exhibit who he is. Uh, and it's an incredible moment for us to reflect on. So let's reflect and think back contextually on where we are with Elijah. As you recognize, God called Elijah the simple man from Tish. He sends him to King Ahab and gives him a warning that there will be no rain anywhere in Israel for three years because of the idolatry that Ahab and Jezebel and the rest of the country had fallen into. Uh, and so because of that idolatry, the, the water would be dried up. Israel would effectively become a veritable desert. Uh, and so after Elijah delivers this prophecy, God hides him at the ravine in Cherith. Uh, and in the ravine of Cherith, there's a, a brook that God has provided. And the food for Elijah is delivered every day by ravens. God takes care of his own. And he stays there. And in this moment of isolation, God is creating a powerful man of God. Uh, and he is preparing for him to be totally committed to him because Elijah is going to face some difficult tests. And so that's what happens there. And so following that, God dries up the brook. And we talked about what happens in our own lives when the brooks dry up, which means that God has another purpose for us, another plan for us. Uh, and so as that happened, Elijah is told by God to travel to Zarephath, which is 100 miles away, uh, because there will be a widow who will take care of him, will feed him, uh, and will house him. And so <clears throat> Elijah travels 100 miles by foot in the open, even though Ahab and his soldiers are looking for him to kill him. And so, again, you see the protection of, of God. Well, he goes there to, to see the widow. Uh, and when he sees the widow, he's directed that this is the widow. She's preparing some sticks to build a fire. He asks her to please, please uh, make, make some food for me, make, a, make some bread, make a cake. Uh, and she says, I don't even have enough oil uh, and flour for myself. I was planning to go back to my home. And I was going to make a, a bread for myself and my son, and then we would die. And Elijah's thinking, this is who you sent me to? This is who is going to take care of me? 
and again, you see another test by God. As I talked about that, the test of, of not jumping uh, to presumptions and first impressions and the fact that he is the God of the impossible. Uh, and so as she does this and prepares this, uh, what happens is that she is told that for the duration of the three-year drought, she will never run out of flour or oil, that God will always preserve that and protect it. Well, as you see this incredible blessing, and then what happens? There's another test. Her son dies. Can you imagine? Elijah sent to this house, and now the, the, the young son dies. And she has got recriminations against Elijah about this. How did this happen? God sent you here so I could have this judgment against me? Uh, and Elijah takes the body of the boy and takes him upstairs and prays over him. Uh, and God restores him to life. And so you can, you can see all of the dramatic things going on in the life of Elijah, uh, that he's waiting and trusting in faith on God, and God is making it very clear that this is an anointed servant of God and that God will step out for him even when, even when uh, things look bleak. Well, the next step now is the subject of today's sermon, and it appears in 1 Kings 18, verse 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Finally, after three long years, and it's more like three and a half years, God tells Elijah he's now going to send rain. Now, I want you to think about the courage that it takes to go to see Ahab if you're Elijah. He knows that he's been out sending soldiers to kill him. He knows that his, he is a hunted man, and yet God says, go, go. And you see, when God says, go, we obey. Even when we don't understand it, even when we have trepidation, go. But Elijah had been through boot camp. He was at boot camp in Cherish, at the Cherith, at the ravine. He was in a testing program with the widow. And all of that comes to bear in our lives as God then gives the directive, go and tell Ahab. Uh, and so when he comes to see Ahab, uh, obviously Ahab is not thrilled to see him. <clears throat> he calls him, quote, the troubler of Israel. The troubler of Israel. How'd you like to be referred to uh, with that moniker? The troubler of Israel. Uh, and imagine what Israel had to look like during this three and a half year period. It had to have the stench of death permeating throughout. It had to be horrible. And so into this mess walks the man who the king blames for starting the whole thing. And he stands there and he indicts the king through the power of God. And imagine the courage that it took to do this. And the lesson for you is that when God directs your steps, have courage. He's with you. He doesn't abandon you. Uh, uh, he was not intimidated by any of this. And look at what he says about where the blame ought to properly belong. He says that in 1 Kings 18, verse 18. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. And so God had brought judgment down on the king and the queen and all of Israel because they have denied the first commandment. They followed a different God. 
And so Elijah did not back down one inch. Uh, and so uh, just as Ahab had shamelessly broken the first commandment, uh, Elijah stands tall. He and his whole uh, coterie of people and the, fam the family of God were all worshiping idols. This now becomes a dramatic showdown between idols and the living God himself. And so Elijah proposes a plan, a plan to suddenly set Israel straight. Uh, and what he says is, bring all the prophets of Baal and Asherah out. There were 850 of these false prophets, can you imagine? Bring them out uh, and welcome them and bring them to Mount Carmel, where we will have a test. And so the audience at Mount Carmel uh, was composed of two groups of people, and that is the false prophets, the 850 false prophets, and the people of Israel who had followed them. Uh, and what you see here, there are people who followed them, and there were other people who just remained silent. And church, let me say this to you as you listen to this sermon. Part of the, the concept of this sermon is that we have to stand for God. We have to stand for God because you see here how the culture slides. How easily was it for Israel, who had been founded upon God, to slide into idolatry? And the same thing applies to us today. And by the way, I don't want you to think about the fact that we're talking today that you're going to put a little God on your, your dashboard or you're going to have a little statue in your house. Now, that's not the kind of God that we're talking about here. We're talking about the God of family, the God of recreation, the God of money, the God of possessions, all the little G's in your life that take precedence and become an obstacle in your life between you and serving God. God is delivering a strong message today. Stand for me. Stand tall for me. And so Elijah makes this incredible statement right there on Mount Carmel uh, in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now that was the word of God. How long how long will you tarry between two camps? You can't serve two camps. It's either God or Baal. And this is very clear here at this moment in time. And so there were many people there. The country had embraced idolatry. Uh, and other people were indecisive. And indecisiveness is the same as serving idolatry because you're not camped out with God. You're in the middle ground. And as you're going to see, there is no middle ground with God. And so Elijah effectively tells Israel and the king, it's decision time. This is the time that God has decreed. And so many of the Israelites were undecided. They didn't know. Can you imagine after knowing the history of Israel and what God had done through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and only several hundred years later, you see these people now being undecided and serving a false god. Elijah confronts them with the truth, and that is, how long will you hesitate and be out in two different camps. It's decision time. And unfortunately, the people remained silent. And let me say that to you. Don't look for public support when you stand for God. Don't look for public support when you stand up for issues that confront the culture. 
uh, in every way. We're going to have a prayer service on Tuesday in which we're praying for the church, but we're also praying for life uh, to, to really support those people who fight abortions. It's not easy to stand up for these issues. You see it where people go out and attack, where they even petition the homes of the Supreme Court justices, knowing even before that a decision hasn't been reached, but they want to frighten them and make them think about it. And that's the culture we're in. And so you have to stand tall. This is why we have to understand the nature of what we're facing. These are the political decisions of our life that we have an important role in, that we have to step up. And so Elijah stood there vastly unnumbered, vastly, but invincible in the hand of God. Invincible. Why? Because he knew what God had done for him. He knew that God had raised a boy from the dead. He knew that God had protected him for three and a half years. He knew that God had lifted him up in every possible way. He had walked in booth camp. He had seen the river be there for him, the brook, and the ravens feeding him. And then when the river, the river dried up, he saw that God directed his path to another place. And so Elijah had a plan. What an amazing way that God lifts up this man to articulate this plan. And this is in verses 22 to 24. 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Uh, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is God. The God who answers by fire is God. Then all the people say what you say is good. What an incredible test. It'd be a great movie, wouldn't it? You see these two sacrifices being set up side by side, these bulls being put out on these various altars. The bogus prophets followed Elijah's plan and carried out the instructions. <clears throat> but as they called upon Baal, nothing happened. From early in the morning until nightfall, they cried, they begged, they danced, they jumped, they even cut themselves, and nothing happened. There was no lightning. There was no fire. There was not a single stirring in the skies. The silence, you see, was deafening. Uh, in desperation, uh, they began leaping around the altar in a frenzy, uh, begging and pleading in every possible way, trying to attract the attention of Baal. This had to be some, some show to see this going on as you see these 450 prophets doing this. Remember, this isn't just one. There's 450 of them jumping around. <clears throat> now, if you think that the servants of God, or even your pastor doesn't have a sense of humor, uh, check this out in verse 27, what Elijah says, which I love this. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Can you imagine? How about that? This guy's got a sense of humor. He's been chased for three and a half years. 
Uh, he's been reviled. He's been called the troubler of Israel. And now he still has a sense of humor. I love that about God. And so if you think that serving God means you have to walk around with a dour expression on your face, get, it, get over that, all right? Get over that. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're filled with life. And I would have loved to have met Elijah. When I get on the other side, I look forward to speaking with him. Uh, but you can imagine how he did this and taunted them and how the king and Jezebel must have been infuriated uh, to see this as nothing happened. Uh, there's no answer even as they humiliated their bodies. Now, at this dramatic point, Elijah steps forward into the scene. Uh, and this would be his greatest moment of serving God, his greatest hour, the very essence of his life. And so everything he had trained for, all of the boot camps, all of the tests were made for this point in time as he had endured in silence and solitude. Uh, and now all of that testing, all of that silence and solitude would now pay off as he goes before God. And this would be God's moment of proof. And so if you look at 1 Kings 18, verses 30 to 35, you read as follows. Then, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Let's stop right there. Before he did anything else, he first repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. <clears throat> you see, when we stop worshiping God, when we walk away from God, one of the things that we do is we let the altar of God fall apart. And the altar of God today is in your heart. It's in your heart. Where is your heart? Are you fully committed to God? Are you really walking with God? Have you walked away from the world? Or does the world still entice you? Because all of that relates to the altar of God. Uh, and, and what happens? We have a hardened heart. Uh, your greatest enemy is yourself. And part of the altar of God here is understanding it. Part of the altar of God is your commitment to come to church, to worship in church, to lift up the people of God, to serve with the people of God, to affirm the people of God. This is all part of the altar of God. I don't want you to be thinking about some little barbecue pit. This is far greater than that. This is significance in what God looks for in your life. And so before he does anything, he repairs the altar of God. Uh, which had been torn down. Then in verse 31, it says, Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. They had forgotten all that. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. And in other translations, it's four large barrels of water, which I think is probably more accurate. <clears throat> Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time and the water ran all around the altar and even filled the trench with water. So get the sense. This sacrifice is drenched with water. There's a trench filled up with water. And there's, you know, probably several thousand people watching this along with the 
450 Baal prophets and another 400 of the Asheroth prophets all sitting there watching. What's going to happen? What is this guy going to do? What is this guy going to do? Well, the first thing uh, is, is that we see here that his, he rebuilt the altar, which meant he was reigniting his commitment to God. He was showing the people of Israel that this is where their heart needed to be, which was destroyed during the period of idolatry. And so at the time of the evening service, the evening, the evening sacrifice, Elijah made a very simple prayer to the Lord. He didn't have to scream. He didn't have to dance. He didn't have to cut himself. He didn't have to do all the things that the Baal prophets had done all day long. Just a simple one-sentence prayer, really, uh, in which he stepped forward and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Period. End of prayer. End of prayer. This is a lesson to us about having that kind of relationship to God. And so it was a simple prayer of faith. Uh, the altar had been uh, repaired. His heart was right. He had walked in the boot camp of God. He had been tested. <clears throat> and now he made this simple prayer uh, to the God of creation, the God of the commandments, the God who said, let you have no other God before me. Commandment number one. And what happened? The response was immediate. A consuming fire came out of the skies and devoured the entire offering, all of it, the meat, the wood, the stones, the water, all of it consumed as this fire comes down out of heaven and wipes it all out. And the people saw it and fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. Amen, church? The Lord, he is God. God had answered the prayer of Elijah. He answered it with fire. And so what you see is our God is a consuming fire. It's important to understand that even as we walk with him, uh, as we want to obey him, we need to understand that this God who loves us and affirms us and nurtures us, yet as the God of creation is a consuming fire. And through that, he turned the heads of the people back to God. It also rid the people of Baal and it removed idolatry from Israel because following this <clears throat> incredible display of the power of God, Elijah asked that the prophets be seized without any escape. Uh, and then he brought them down uh, to the brook Kishon and there he slew them all. All right. I know some of you are going, oof. John, isn't that a bit harsh? He killed them all? Well, here's the thing. When you go to the doctor and he tells you that you have a cancerous tumor, do you want him to keep it in your body? Just pat you on the head and say you'll be all right? Or do you want him to remove it, recognizing that it's a metastatic disease? And these idolatrous prophets were a metastatic disease. 
They were destroying Israel. They had to be removed. The judgment of God made it clear. He wasn't acting on his own. This was all based on the judgment of God. And it was a wise move because otherwise Israel was being systematically destroyed. They were immoral, they were hostile, and they were a malignancy before God. Now, there's several important principles here uh, that we can learn from, from this story that apply to us. Uh, first, when we are sure that we are within the sovereign will of God, we are invincible. Let me repeat that. When you're sure you're walking within the will of God with your life, you are invincible. If God tells you to do something and you're inspired to do something, I want to assure you and affirm you, you are invincible. Nothing makes us more insecure uh, uh, of, of these kind of life decisions when we're not in the will of God. When you're walking alone, not walking with God, then you should be insecure and unsure about where you are. But when you have that divine assurance in your life, you can stand fast recognizing that God is with you. He is not abandoning you. Think about the circumstances of your own life. Uh, you may be out of work and not sure what the next steps are for you. Uh, but as you bow before God and pray for wisdom, God speaks into your heart. And I know this is true. There's so many of you that have told me that you can recall back praying months back, Lord, you've even written it out. Lord, what do you want me to do? And then when you go back and you look a year later, you see all the doors that God has opened for you. And it's because you were walking with God. It's the same way here about Elijah, uh, that when you're walking with God, you have that assurance. He walks with you. Not once was Elijah intimidated. Not once. Uh, he never was on the defense, ever. Every aspect of his life, he was on the offense. The second principle for us is divided allegiance is as wrong today as open idolatry was then. Divided legions. And that's the problem with the church in America. The church in America has divided allegiance, you see. Yes, on Sunday we go to church. Yes, on Sunday we'll spend an hour or two going to church. But the rest of the week, uh, many of us are as far away from God as you can imagine. We're living reckless lives, lives that are sold out to the world. People wouldn't even know that we're Christians. Uh, and this really results in us living a divided life, a divided allegiance. And so you see here this question posed by Elijah was posed by God. And he poses this question for you today. Make up your mind. Are you serving me or are you serving the world? Are you serving all these other little gods in the world, or are you serving me? This makes me think of the words of our Lord uh, to the church in Laodicea. And this is one of the uh, sermons that my father would preach at least two or three times a year. And so it resonates with me, where he says in Revelations 3, 15, verse 15, uh, I know your deeds, that you are neither whole, cold, nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Oh, Lord, please, please, 
You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. You're camped out right in the middle ground. You say you worship me, but your heart is just as much in the things of the world. You're tied up with possessions and money and family issues and, and all the other things that count in terms of the work of God come down the line or at the bottom of the food chain. You can't serve God like this. I'm speaking to myself first. And I want God saying to me, John, you have to put me first in your life in every possible way. And I could see it in the hand that he's done here in this church, how he's given us a new church building where he's indicated to us, this is what happens when you bow before me. I will give you the blessings of your life. You don't have to wander around aimlessly. I will give you this. This is what God does, but he expects to see us step up and be a people of God. Not lukewarm. Not lukewarm, because if we're lukewarm, we're lost. Lukewarm means you're lost as far as God is concerned. And so what does this mean? Stop hiding your love and commitment to Jesus. I imagine that so many of us, if we went around and asked neighbors and friends, uh, are they uh, devout Christians? Well, I really, I really don't know. You know, it's like the two guys that met at a water cooler one day at work, and one guy said to the other, uh, well, I'm, I happen to be a Christian. The other guy said, you're kidding. You're, I've known you for years. I had no idea. How many people would say that about us? I had no idea that's where you stood. Because you see, you have to speak about your faith. You have to speak about Jesus Christ. You have to demonstrate the love of God in your area. You have to show, you have to show that God is covering you with his spirit. Do you do that in the culture? Have you stood up tall against the culture? It may not be popular. That's right. Maybe some of those guys that like to play golf with you, maybe they don't want to play golf with you anymore. You know why? You, know, you don't curse. You don't speak in a poor way. You show love. And you know what? You make them feel uncomfortable. Well, good for you. Because God is using you to make them feel uncomfortable. This is the nature of what God is calling us to do. God isn't calling us to lift up the culture. He's calling us to stand against the culture. You understand? This is an important lesson as you see this here uh, with Elijah. Uh, and so my question for you is just as Elijah prayed, do you pray every day? Do you pray every day? Do you make it a point in your life to seek out God every day of your life? Because it is the most effective tool that we have. And I would say to you, look, you don't have to go into a closet. You don't need a prayer shawl. You don't have to look for which direction Jerusalem is. As you walk around or drive your car, you can pray. You should be praying a hundred times a day in every aspect of your life. That's what God wants to see. And he'll honor that. He'll lift you up. And then fourth, never underestimate the power of one totally dedicated to God. Never underestimate what it means to have, be totally dedicated to God. How one man or woman totally dedicated to God can stand alone and outnumber all the forces of evil. And that's what Elijah did. All of them were silenced and intimidated by this one man. And I want you to think back about those people that have had a major spiritual influence in your life. 
We have all had those people. Some of them have been dear friends. Some of them have been family members. Some of them have been pastors. But think about the people that have had a major influence in your life. And I would say that every single one of them were totally committed to God. Their faith was incredible. And so this should challenge you as to how you need to live. This is how you need to be. God wants you to be that kind of person. God wants you to inspire and be a major influencer, to build up people that need this. God wants you to go out, to go out to your neighborhood, to go into your clubs, to go into work, and to show people what it means to be committed to God. Yes, I'm not afraid to stand up for God. I'm not afraid to stand up for God, even if sometimes people will find it hard to believe that you're the guy who's doing it. When I got called to go back into the ministry, there were people who knew me from court and said, you? 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 And I said, him. Him. Not me. Him. And that's the answer for you. If someone says you, you say, no, not me, him. And so what you see is all through history, there are great people committed to God, committed to walking with God, committed in, as, as tremendous giants of faith who God used in a powerful way. And the greatest of them was Jesus Christ on, on the cross at Calvary, who once and for all defeated all the enemies of God. There it is, one man, one man fully dedicated to God in every way, standing against the onslaughts of Satan, the onslaughts of evil, and God lifted him up so that Jesus Christ would be our Lord and Savior forever. Look, this is a tremendous story as we study the life of Elijah. You see the impact of God here. And I want to say to you, that God is still alive. That God of fire is still alive. All the things that he did for Elijah, he can do for you. If you commit yourself in the same way and you say to God, I'm your man, I'm your woman, I will walk with you, Lord, and get out of the middle ground. Get out of the middle ground. Don't be lukewarm. Be hot. Be fully hot. As I like to say, ask God to turn up the Holy Spirit in your life. Take that pilot light and turn it all the way up. And then once it's all the way up, pull the knob off. You understand? Just say to God, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm yours. Give me the courage to stand tall. Give me the courage to fight against the culture. Give me the courage to stand up and speak the way you want me to speak and to show the world what it means, what it means to be committed, to be hot in every way for God. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this powerful example of Elijah. As we see what you can do to a man, Father, who has committed his life to you. What it means, Lord, not to be lukewarm. What it means to say, I'm with you. I'm walking with you. I will not be in the middle ground. I will not be uh, upset by the idols of life. I will not be discouraged by possessions or family or money or power, but instead you will be first in my life. And when you're first in my life, Lord, I know you will walk with me. <clears throat> and if I need and ask it, you will call down fire from heaven. You will do that for me. Lord, 
Ignite this message in our heart. Let us leave here today ever mindful of what this means. Let this message resonate with us this week and protect our people and bring them back safely to continue their worship next week as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.